I'm Gabriela Fresquez, and this is Radar 2021. America has always been a multicultural melting pot, a nation of immigrants. It's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Well, that and aerosol spray cheese. You can't find it anywhere else. From a variety of native tribes to a multitude of European settlers to the African diaspora, we've never had a single identity or even an official language. But it'd be naive to assume that all Americans have a positive view of multiculturalism or even appreciate being exposed to it. English is the, our first language, so you need to speak English. I'm sorry if I didn't know. Clients, your staff is speaking Spanish to customers when they should be speaking English. It's okay, speak English, you're in America. It's like those famous Woody Guthrie lyrics. This land is my land, this land is your land. Unless you're Asian, Mexican, Muslim, Black, or Jewish, in which case you better show me some ID and get off my lawn. This land is your land, if you can buy it, but it's expensive, go ahead and try it. Okay, so Guthrie never said the last part. But it's a loose interpretation for anti-immigrant sentiment that's proven to be as American as apple pie. Or Western imperialism. More, actually. Throughout the pandemic, Asian Americans have faced an uptick in discriminatory rhetoric. Harassment isn't just against the black and Hispanic communities. We've seen plenty of attacks against Asians. In fact, the Asian American community has been the target of xenophobia in the U.S. throughout history. Uh, Asian Americans have fled genocide, rape, torture, war, and atomic bombs as a result of American Western imperialism. You can see that in Vietnam War, uh, Korean War, the Chinese Opium Wars, the Japanese bombing. Um, Asian Americans have been targeted after the attacks of 9-11 in Islamophobic acts of violence, even though Hindus and Sikhs are not even Muslim, and they have been targeted as well. Um, and now, uh, Asian Americans are being targeted after anti-Chinese propaganda around the virus has stoked previously existing anti-Asian sentiment. But much of this recent hostility has ironically come from many of the same anti-masker COVID deniers who cast doubt on the severity of the virus itself. But what or who could have possibly enabled this anti-Asian sentiment? We'll wait. The Chinese virus. Kung flu. It comes from China. It's not racist at all, no. It comes from China. Another set of Woody Guthrie lyrics come to mind after seeing that clip. These lyrics were inspired by Woody's landlord for discriminating against black veterans in a Brooklyn housing development in 1950. His landlord being Fred Trump, Donald's father. And it really doesn't get any weirder. The reality is, few groups in the U.S. have been spared from anti-immigrant rhetoric. It's pretty much a coming-to-America rite of passage. Now, I could tell you wholeheartedly that the Statue of Liberty reminds me of a random field trip I took back in middle school. That's about it. However, that does not mean that I'm unable to appreciate what Lady Liberty represents. Our school was a whole bunch of first-generation immigrant kids, uh, kids from Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Ghana, Senegal, Haiti, Jamaica, just all chilling together. And the incredible thing is, None of this is new. Immigrants have been arriving on the shores of the Atlantic for hundreds of years. From the early to mid-1800s, Irish immigrants made up nearly half of all U.S. immigrants. The poor living conditions and the willingness for them to work for low wages made it so that discrimination against them was rampant. 
This led to a rise in nativism, the political ideology that favors native inhabitants as opposed to immigrants. A great example of this is in the movie Gangs of New York. Who holds sway over the five points? Us natives or the foreign hordes defiling it? Another big immigration wave came around the turn of the century where millions of Italians and European Jewish immigrants arrived on Ellis Island. Again, these new arrivals were not greeted with open arms, let me tell you. By the end of World War II, an even newer wave of migrants began to arrive in New York City. Notice I said migrants and not immigrants. There's a difference. Due to the increasing unemployment in Puerto Rico, the number of Boricuas migrating to New York skyrocketed. Poor housing conditions and lack of adequate resources led to the foundation of the New York chapter of the Young Lords. This Black Panther-inspired Puerto Rican Latino-based group fought for their community. Albeit sometimes controversial, it was a means to an end. And the story continues. We have new immigrants calling New York City home every single day, with every group adding their own flavor and leaving their own unique fingerprint in the American experience. And that's something to be proud of. With all its diversity, New York is far from being some multicultural utopia. Its recent past under the mayoral reign of another well-known Big Apple billionaire, Michael Bloomberg, proved to be dangerous for people of color, and even more so for immigrants. I grew up in the Bronx, New York, during the stop and frisk era. I was constantly targeted by police, um, so were my friends. Um, and I grew up at a time where there was a lot of interaction, negative interaction with police. There was a really heavy police presence in the Bronx. Um, there was a lot of police brutality. I saw it growing up. Um, and because of that, even though I lived in a, in a predominantly um, immigrant neighborhood, a lot of us were black, right? There were Afro-Caribbean, Dominican, Puerto Ricans. And the intersections of blackness and being undocumented places you at, at a very big risk, right? Not only are you at risk of deportation at the hands of ICE, but you're also at risk of police brutality, right? And many times these two are uh, connected. Usually you will have an interaction, a negative interaction with the police, and then that would lead you to end up in, in immigration custody. So many black immigrants um, end up in deportation because of non-serious crimes, minor offenses that end up disproportionately affecting the black immigrant community, and as a consequence, end up with a disproportionate uh, number of, of deportations for the black community and the black migrant community. And when it comes to an ethnic group arguably most intertwined with American culture, a country that was stripped of its territories after refusing to sell to the U.S. and that later helped the same global superpower recover during World War II through the Bracero program, you'd think that anti-immigrant rhetoric would have spared Mexico. You'd also be underestimating white nationalism and clearly spend zero time on Twitter. The United States of America home to more immigrants than any other country in the world, and where the largest ethnic minority is made up of Latinxes. So it's no surprise that here, salsa outsells ketchup, tortillas outsell burger buns, and that Spanish is the second most commonly spoken language in the U.S. But despite the influence and representation, the fact is discrimination and even hate crimes against Latinxes have been on the rise. Some describe these acts as xenophobic, you know, as in the dislike and prejudice toward people from other countries. But here's the thing. Race and ethnicity are not equivalent to nativity, especially when it comes to Latinxes, because the overwhelming majority is U.S. born. Let's rewind to the year 1848. 
That's when the U.S. won the Mexican-American War, which resulted in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, allowing the U.S. to annex 55% of Mexico's territory, and with it, a significant Mexican-American population. Now fast forward to present day. The U.S. Latinx population is more diverse than ever and exceeds 60 million. Yet 6 in 10 Latinxes report incidents of discrimination, and those with darker skin report incidents in higher numbers. Mexican nasty turn Have a nice day. Another factor for discrimination has been the use of Spanish in public places. Spanish, a language spoken by over 43 million people in the U.S., but perhaps the most public display of bigotry in present history has come at the expense of the undocumented community. And DACA recipients know all too well the impact that xenophobic rhetoric can have on policymaking. Brought to the U.S. as minors through no fault of their own, they've had to meet stringent criteria to be able to qualify for a program that provides only temporary relief. And they've endured quite a bit of undue hostility since they decided to speak up. I came to the U.S. when I was eight years old from Ecuador. In 2006, Immigration, Customs and Enforcement ICE um, raided my home and detained my parents and my sisters. So in 2009, um, my friends and I, um, we decided that we wanted to do a walk from Miami to Washington, D.C. because we were fed up and tired of what was happening, um, not just to our families, but to our friends. And we were um, really upset with the fact that the Obama administration had said that they were going to do immigration reform within the first 100 days of his presidency. And it was two years later, and we were seeing record number of deportations. And so it was the complete opposite of what was promised to us. We led this four-month walk, stopping along the way every single day, talking to the community, talking to everyday folks, and letting them know about our plight and our issue, and asking people along the way to join us. Education You see every other day that young people are using their voice, are sharing their story, are not afraid anymore to speak up because they have seen the power of their story. Everyday people who have the voice and have the power, have the ability to vote, have the ability to hold some of the leaders accountable. And while Biden's proposals to fortify DACA may provide hope to thousands of dreamers living in a constant state of uncertainty, it doesn't even begin to address the trauma of families whose lives have been and continue to be upended by ICE deportations and indefinite stays in family detention centers. By now, most of the world is familiar with the failed zero-tolerance border crackdown that unconscionably separated migrant children from their parents and landed many of them in cages. Two years later, attorneys representing these separated families have been unable to contact more than 500 of the parents whose children were taken, marking a dark chapter in American history and hopefully one we don't forget when paving the way for reform. I have a program that is significantly different and builds upon where we left off and tries to undo the damage that Trump has done. The difficult task of righting wrongs on immigration is underway beginning with the reunification of families that were separated at the border. And though past attempts by both parties to pass comprehensive immigration reform have crashed and burned, President Biden and company are giving it another go. The new proposal is titled the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, and it includes a pathway to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants, an expansion of the refugee resettlement program, and more technology deployed to the U.S. southern border. Other notable provisions are the expansion of benefits for DACA recipients, 
ending the public charge rule that penalizes immigrants for using public benefits and allowing minors to file asylum proceedings in their home countries. But if bundling immigration reform into one bill doesn't get the congressional support it needs in order to make it onto the president's desk, the Biden team seems willing to tackle it in pieces. Those who may be prioritized in a piece-by-piece approach to immigration reform could be farm workers and DACA recipients. In the meantime, Latinx legislators are the ones leading charges for Biden's overhaul in both chambers. Proponents for real reform know that the only way to secure votes is through compromise, which is why Senators Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham have teamed up on the latest iteration of the DREAM Act that would create an actual pathway to citizenship for DACA recipients. And earlier this year, we witnessed Ted Cruz and AOC actually agree when it came to calling out the hypocrisy of online brokerage app Robinhood imposing trading limits on its users. So maybe bipartisan agreement isn't as elusive as we thought? Or maybe this is a sign of... But what no economically-minded Democrat or Republican can ignore is that immigrants are essential to America's bottom line. They make up a significant percentage of workers in industries like textile manufacturing, construction, and maintenance, and we rely on millions of immigrant farm workers to put food on our tables, something that's become overwhelmingly apparent during the pandemic when agricultural laborers have become scarce. Public health concerns and labor shortages have left many farms on the brink of collapse, jeopardizing our food supply chain. One of the most essential pieces of America and its fabric Uh, are the immigrants and the generations of immigrants that have lived here and contributed to this country. Not just economically, but as part of our communities, they are essential frontline workers fighting in the front lines of COVID-19 recovery and who only wish to continue to be part of this great country that they call home and live out a little slice of the American dream. We contribute to this country every single day, and not only as a DACA recipient, but our immigrant community overall make this country what it is. We are all immigrants. We're all standing on stolen land. We we contribute to this country in different ways. We help the economy, and we know that without immigrants, this country wouldn't be what it is today. And when it comes to immigrant contributions in science and tech, Studies show that in the last 30 years, over 75% of breakthroughs in the area of artificial intelligence in the U.S. have come from foreign-born scientists. Which makes sense, since Hollywood cinema has mostly brainwashed Americans to have irrational fears about an AI takeover. Have you seen Westworld? And if you've ever Googled anything, you've directly benefited from the search engine's immigrant co-founder, Sergey Brin. In fact, over half of all billion-dollar tech startups have an immigrant founder. But if the U.S. wants to continue to be catnip for computer nerds, researchers insist on policies that make it easy for international scientists to join our institutions and argue that out-of-date immigration policy is hindering the competitiveness of tech firms. The H-1B program is an important one. There's a big skill set gap out there between what companies need and what are coming out of post-secondary education, especially in engineering and technical fields, we need to close that gap and we need policies to do that. But in the meantime, we need to provide those H-1B visas in order to provide these companies the skills that they need to run their companies. Countless contributions from immigrant leaders have impacted and shaped American culture for the better. Whether in tech or fashion, sports, literature or entertainment, immigrants not only get the job done, 
They often defy the odds and demolish the competition. Shaboy Edgar Sotelo is proof of that. He's not only a successful bicultural bilingual radio host, he's also a motivational speaker who seeks to inspire and empower other immigrants through his story. I'm originally born in Ocotlán, Jalisco, Mexico. And then I was about five years of age when my parents told me that we were going to come to the United States of America, to California. Um, and they had said to come meet Mickey Mouse. I crossed the border in a friend's car. Um, I was undocumented at the time. And then we got to Southern California and the only mouse I met was the one living in the garage with us. And that's when we immigrated over. And we were living in my uncle's back house slash garage. And, you know, we were extremely poor. One of the first times that I realized that life was a little bit more challenging for someone like myself being an immigrant from Mexico is my, when my mom dropped me off in elementary school, she left me with my tia's phone number. And later I found out that the reasoning was is because maybe on her walk home from dropping me off at school, she could potentially get deported or captured by immigration. These are some of the things that documented people don't have to worry about. That while they're in first grade or kindergarten, their parents might be getting deported. My father's dream and his prayer and his wish has always been to keep our family united and for us to represent our last name in a positive way. He got to this country working in agriculture. And because of that, and because of immigration reform in the Reagan era, in the 80s, he was able to get amnesty and be able to get a work permit. And then eventually, because I was underage, he was able to apply for my green card. I know that his and my mother's sacrifice, immigrating to this country, leaving everything they knew, everything they loved in Mexico, was not in vain. I got my bachelor's in psychology, got a master's in leadership because I wanted to go into politics, not entertainment. But I saw the power and the influence and how you can serve your community through radio. And that was what was driving me to go into politics in the first place is to help my community and help uh, give the Latinx representation and a voice and, and look out for our community. Remember, don't allow anyone or anything to steal your joy or your peace. Para mi gente inmigrante, for my dreamers, for my undocumented families, I just want you to know that many times in society, especially in the middle of this pandemic and the rhetoric that happens in our politics, you may feel lonely, you may feel like you're less than at times, and just know that when people label you as the problem in this society, we all know the truth. We're not the problem, we're the solution. We came to this country without much, but we became something. El corazón de este país. Undocumented immigrants alone pay an average of $11.64 billion in state and local taxes a year. And given this substantial economic contribution, increased immigration could be the answer to averting an impending financial Armageddon caused by the Social Security Administration spending more money than it collects. Because half of Americans are over 40, and the U.S. will be consumed by Jimmy Buffett and Gloria Stefan throwback brunches right before our eyes as the baby boomers retire. In short, Americans aren't making enough babies to support our retiring boomers. And immigrants can help with that, too. Turning our backs on immigrants not only threatens America's position as a leader in innovation, but could also be fatal to the U.S. economy in the long term. So maybe it's time to stop 
scapegoating immigrants for all of America's problems and instead focus on how we can increase economic security for everyone who contributes to our economy. I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021. See you next week. Thanks for watching Radar 2021. Please like, subscribe, and comment down below and let us know what issues are important to you. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of issues to choose from. <laughs> so, so many.